Well, if you have a Bible on your tablet, please turn to 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 18 through to the end of the chapter, then Nate is going to come and open this up for us. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those God has called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Well, it's great to uh, see everyone. Um, I've known Trev for many, many years. Trev actually um, will have probably... You probably would have carried me within a couple of weeks of me being born. Um, and as much as I love Trev, he's read a couple of extra verses for us. <laughs> so we're actually only looking at 18 to 25 today. But God's word is good. So hopefully we'll be blessed by that extra reading. But let me pray uh, before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you, as we've seen before, uh, for your word. Lord, thank you for the time that we've spent already praising you. Lord, thank you for the reminder of the fact that your word speaks into our lives, that it points us to your son. And Lord, as we look at your word now, would you encourage us? Would you change us? Would you help us to have soft and humble hearts? 
Lord, would we come away um, from having this word preached um, as different people who um, are looking to you and glorifying your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I sat um, at a bar on um, Wednesday evening after cricket training. Um, if you want to know more about cricket, you can ask uh, Johnny, who um, has scored a couple of ducks recently in our eldership. But essentially, I was sat there with five non-Christian friends. And as we sat there, they actually started to speak about the topic of Christianity. So you can imagine, I'm sitting there as a Christian thinking, great, they've actually started this conversation. And then they turned to ask me why I believed what I believed. You see, they, they couldn't quite understand why I would give my life to Christianity. When there's all these other truths that we could believe, why specifically Christianity? And they were respectful. They might have given a bit a couple of jokes, but they were respectful. But they really couldn't understand based on what they knew about Christianity. And as I sat there, there were a couple of thoughts that kept coming into my head. I kept thinking, if only there was a watertight argument, something that I could outline to them that would leave them in no doubt whatsoever that Christianity was true. Or if only I could maybe show them something, show them something so miraculous or so amazing that they would suddenly give their lives to Christ. And I wonder, have you ever hoped that the Christian message was more persuasive? Maybe it could be so easy to explain logically that everyone you spoke to just automatically believed it. Or if only the people now could see the miracles in the Bible, maybe then they would, they would turn to Christ. Or maybe you've been faced with a situation in your own life where you've questioned your beliefs, where you've wondered whether Christianity is really true. Maybe you thought to yourself, if only I could be more persuaded about this. If only God could send some kind of sign into my life, something that would help me in believing him. Well, we're taking a break, as we've said, from our series in John. And for the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at a couple of different passages. And today we're looking at 1 Corinthians. And that is a book that Paul wrote, a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. And that church, it lived in a context where the way of the world seemed so attractive. And actually, that's very similar to the world that we live in today. So as we go through the passage this morning, we're going to, this afternoon, sorry, we're going to look at what Paul says to that church and hopefully be encouraged by that and changed. We've got three points this morning. Every sermon has to have three points, of course. And the first point is the cross is foolish to the world, but power to Christians. And you'll find that in verse 18. Years ago, there was an outline produced of basically the Bible story. And it was called Two Ways to Live. And, and in a sense, really, that, that does describe humanity so well. Humanity is, is divided. You might have seen this in your own life. We come here and we're around Christians and we're encouraged. We go to the park later and a couple of people buy pizza, maybe we're a little bit jealous, but we're around other Christians. Maybe in our focus groups, we spend time looking at God's word and seeing how amazing it is and being encouraged. 
But then on the flip side, we might be in a situation at work or in our universities or maybe with our families and friends where people don't quite understand the gospel. In fact, more than than not quite understanding it, they, they actually reject it. You see, the cross, the gospel, it splits humanity in two. And that's why Paul writes in verse 18. He says, the cross is foolish to some, but it's power to others. Those, those two states that Paul speaks about, they're divided by how people respond to the cross. It, it separates, as I said, the whole of humanity. Every, every single person that's ever existed is split into one of two groups based on how they respond to the cross. Now, to the person that, that doesn't believe in Jesus, they, they look at his death on the cross, and it seems foolish. It, it doesn't really seem to achieve anything. Sure, maybe Jesus might have existed historically, but his death in the cross is just another man dying. Now, people today, they might say to us that, you know, you can believe in whatever you want, or everyone's truth is their truth. But the reality is, is that they themselves, if they've chosen not to follow Jesus, they are looking at that as foolishness. They think that there is another way that we should be living. Think of it this way, and this might be slightly controversial, but imagine that I thought, and I don't think this, that getting the COVID jab is foolish. Now, I know at least one person in my focus group would be very angry at that, but imagine I thought that. Might be controversial, I know, But if I thought that and I said to you, well, sure, you can believe in whatever you want. Your truth is your truth. You can live however you want. But my actions were that I didn't get the jab. My actions would prove that I think that it was foolish. The way that I was responding would prove what's actually in my heart, no matter what I say. You see, Christianity to the world, as Trev said, it seems upside down. It, It seems inside out. Those people that have seen Stranger Things might remember the the upside down. Christianity, it seems to many non-Christians, as a complete different dimension. It it just doesn't make sense. What, What God leaves his throne? What God leaves his glory? His his glory he leaves to die. What kind of king would decide to give his life for those that are his enemies? A God who suffers? It seems like a total contradiction. It seems completely absurd. If, if, a, if a, a human was writing a story about how to save the world, they'd, they'd never come up with something like that. The Son of God humiliated on the cross. It seems complete foolishness. Well, the Christian faith doesn't work the way the world does. One, one of my favorite books growing up was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, apparently, I was quite scared of the film when I was little. But, but it's a book that C.S. Lewis wrote, and he based it on the gospel. And there's one particular scene where the, the, the lion Aslan, who is representing Jesus, goes to die. And as he goes to die, he is humiliated. He is mocked. Everything about the situation seems... It seems completely like nothing could happen good of it. It seems completely foolish to think that what Aslan is doing in dying is going to achieve anything positive. 
But for the Christian, the message of the cross is central to our lives. It's like John T. said last week. It's not just a spoke, but it's the whole entire wheel. The cross, for us, changes everything. Because for us, the cross is the message by which we are saved. So it splits humanity into two. And I think if we're going to apply this to our lives early on, then it gives us an awareness. It means that we are able to understand why the world might look at us and they might laugh at us. They might mock us. They might scorn us. Because as they look at the cross, they see foolishness. So Paul is realistic to us. He gives us a way of understanding our world, of understanding why people react in the way they do. And there's actually, I think, a little bit of a risk here. Because if we're to live in a world where the world is constantly telling us that the cross is foolish, if it's constantly mocking and deriding the Christian faith, if that is the soundtrack that is going on and on and on in our lives, then there is a danger that that can be something that we can take on ourselves. That can be something that we start to question, maybe even start to believe or at least struggle with. So it's really important for us to see what Paul has to say. And the way that we avoid this is partly understood in our second point. God has shown the world's wisdom to be foolish. Verses 19 to 21. God has shown the world's wisdom to be foolish. You see, we we live in an age where people would claim that we know more than ever before. There's been advances in science, in medicine, in our understanding of of the human body, in our understanding of the world, of, of oceans, of space. Elon Musk is talking about sending us to Mars. And and technology is changing the way that we live our lives every day. Apparently, there's 2.5 quintillion bytes of data created every day. Now, I don't even know what quintillion means. It sounds pretty impressive, and I guess it's got a whole load of zeros after it. But essentially, our world seems to understand things more than ever before. Seems that we've known more than, than any generation in the past. And many people use that. And they say that actually science has proved Christianity to be wrong. But God has said that he will show the world's wisdom, the world's intelligence, to be foolish. Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah in verse 19, if you want to look at it. He says this, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. So Isaiah was writing this this essential warning to God's people. It was was God's very words. And, And in that chapter, he actually speaks about how God is going to show those who are educated of the world to actually not be even close to the wisdom that God has. Those who set themselves up as wise will be seen to be fools. They'll be proved to lack true understanding. God promises in that chapter that Paul is quoting here that he's once again going to deliver his people. There'll be this kind of reversal that Trev spoke earlier of. The proud and wise are going to be humbled. And instead, God will be worshipped. He'll be worshipped by a people who don't trust in the world's wisdom. But they don't trust in the world's understanding. They rely instead on him. 
And, and I think the reality is, is that, that people don't change. 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this, it was true. And 700 years before that, when Isaiah wrote it, it was true. Every single generation thinks that they are somehow more enlightened than the last. Each is tempted to rely on their own knowledge, to think that they've suddenly understood exactly the way that the world works. Stephen Hawkins once said this. He said, if we do discover a theory of everything, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason. For then, we would truly know the mind of God. Well, as brilliant as a scientist as he was, that, that quite frankly, is impossible. There, there's just no way that we as humans can ever know the mind of God. We are constantly discovering more things about our planet. In a sense, we're constantly being humbled by all that we don't know. Hawkins thinks that we might be able to know the mind of God, but we don't even know the minds of each other. If I asked you right now to work out what I'm thinking, it would be surprising if anyone would be able to guess. I'm thinking of milkshakes, by the way. Anyone guess? No, there you go. But Paul asks where the world's wisdom is found. And he shows that actually the world's wisdom is found to not be wisdom at all. Humans themselves couldn't even discover God. For all of the advances that we've made, for all the experiments that can take place, for all the books that have been written, for everything that's on the internet, for everything that is complex and intellectual in our world today, humans could never discover God in and of themselves. Instead, God had to reveal himself to us. And that is what Paul is saying proves that the world's wisdom is foolish. We, we couldn't even discover God on our own. He had to reveal himself to us. And for all the technology that we have, we also can't reverse the curse of death. It, it stumps us. We have no answer to it. It humiliates us. I was watching um, an episode of House the other day where a woman says, I want to die with dignity. And House turns to her and he says, it's impossible to die with dignity. Death comes to us all. It mocks the intelligence that we think we might have. It mocks scientists and people with PhDs because at the end of the day, nobody can reverse the curse of death. But actually, despite all the intelligence and all the learning that people have, it is God who comes and it is God who uses the cross, something that seems so foolish, to completely destroy death and to reverse the curse. He uses the cross, something that seems so weak and foolish, to defeat the biggest problem that humanity faces. And by doing that, he shows the world that we aren't really as intelligent or powerful as we think we are. So, so far we've seen that the cross is foolish to the world, but power to Christians. And secondly, God has shown the world's wisdom to be foolish. And our third point looks at how we live in light of this. And that's verses 23 to 25. Although the world looks at the cross as foolishness, there, there are some different kind of expectations that different cultures have. 
And Paul picks up on this in verse 22. You see, the Jews that he was writing to at the time, they, they expected signs. They wanted to see miracles. Jesus had actually spoken about this when he was on earth. Very, very often he would turn around to the Jews and he would condemn them for the fact that all they wanted to see were miracles. They were always just waiting for Jesus to do another miracle and saying that that would be the thing that proved that he was the son of God. That is what they wanted to have to be able to trust in him. But Greeks, on the other hand, were those that loved philosophy and and intelligence and debating. They had kind of phrases like, the wise man is king, or to the wise man things all belong. Certainly don't think I would have fitted in in Greece. Sounds like the kind of place that you'd turn um, up and they'd turn their noses up at you if you didn't go to university, or if you got a 2-2, or if you didn't go to a red brick university, whatever that is. I mean, I can barely put my mask on the way, right way around, so I don't think I'd have fitted in there. But that is the kind of culture that they were living in where intelligence was seen as the currency, as the most important thing that you could have. And you might have seen these two approaches in your own life. Maybe you spoke to people that aren't Christians, and they say, well, if only Jesus could come back, and I could see him today and see the miracles that he was doing, then I'd believe. Or there might be other of your friends or family or work colleagues who say, it just doesn't make sense. If only it logically lined up perfectly, then then I would believe. And you might have seen that in your own life. There might have been times where you struggled yourself with something that felt so hard and there was such a weight on you, and all that you hoped for is that God would just send you a sign, something to prove that he was there, something that you would be able to say definitively, okay, God, you exist. Or you might have just wished that the Christian message made more sense intellectually. That we could just line it up perfectly in a logical argument and then we could believe it. But for Christians, we don't live on the basis of either of those things. The world doesn't understand it, but we look to the cross. We're not waiting for impressive sounding arguments or miraculous signs. But as we see in verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. Now, for the Jews, that was a stumbling block because they were expecting some kind of miraculous sign. As Trev said earlier, they also were wanting to be able to, in some way, justify themselves to God. They thought that if they could keep doing good act after good act after good act, eventually they would be right with God. It was a stumbling block to them to look at the cross and see that that was the way that they could be saved. And for Greeks, those that wanted to focus on intellectual arguments, again, it didn't fit into their logical framework. They wanted impressive-sounding arguments, not a man hanging naked on a cross. Now, Now, let me point out just one quick point here. Christianity is not anti-intellectual. So what I'm saying here as we're talking about what the Greeks are looking for is not that as Christians we just completely throw out all of science and all of the understanding that we have of the world. We don't do that when we become Christians. In fact, actually, we celebrate those things as things that God has given to us. But we don't become stuck 
trying to come up with the perfect logical argument to prove that Jesus is the Christ. Those things are helpful to us, but they alone are not what we focus on. We focus on the cross. We know that the world will naturally think that is foolish. That is what Paul is speaking about here. But that is what we put our faith in. And as we move to verse 24, we see that the gospel brings together all types of people. Verse 24 screams that that Jesus is the power of God. And, And Paul ends kind of in a slightly ironic way in verse 25. He's, God isn't foolish, and he's not weak, but he uses what the world sees as foolish and weak to show his true power. It's, it's that upside down, that back to front wonder of the gospel. As Christians, we live for something that seems weak and silly to the watching world. But there are countless examples of people living through faith. I've seen that in my own life. I'm thinking about a couple of friends recently, a couple of friends who have seen what the world has said as wisdom and have faced the challenge and the temptation to go with what the world says. I think of one friend who was in a relationship with a non-Christian some time ago. The wisdom of the world in that situation says, just do what you want. Just be, be living for yourself. Don't trust in, in a book that's thousands of years old. But they saw that trusting in Jesus was true power. I think of another couple of friends that I've spoken to who have had same-sex attraction and who've been faced with the voice of the world to live out that and just to discard God's word, to just throw it out. To follow the Bible to the world in that regard seems weak and worthless. But they grasp the beauty of the gospel, that true wisdom is trusting God as our creator. When we grasp the truth of this passage, we we can say no to the world's wisdom and we can live in the light of God's power even when the world says that it is foolish. So we're about to to apply this to our lives to see how it actually works in our lives day to day. But before that, let me just take a second to pray for us that as we apply this to our lives, it would hit home and it would change us. Let's take a second to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, as we look at your word, we see that the world regards it as foolishness. But Lord, as we seek to apply it to our lives, would you help us to be truly changed by it? Would you help us to long to look to the cross as the only way that we might be saved? Amen. So as we apply this to our lives, we're about to take communion. And what communion essentially is, is it is us focusing on the cross, where God's true wisdom and power was displayed. The cross where Jesus hung, naked, seemingly without hope, seemingly unable to do anything, completely unimpressive. The cross, at that point, might have looked like foolishness but instead it was true power, the true power by which we're saved. So as we take communion later, you you have an opportunity to dwell on that, to dwell on the fact that the world says that the cross is foolishness, 
but to us it is power. Maybe you want to take a moment to write that down, to maybe remind yourself in some way. I've set a reminder on my phone to set um, out to remind me each morning these words. Foolishness to the world, but power for the saved. Foolishness to the world, but power for the saved. Maybe you want to take a verse from here and set it as your wallpaper to remind yourself that although the world out there thinks that the gospel and the cross is foolishness, it is the power to save. Let's try to apply that to our lives and live in light of that as we go through the week. Let's pray to end. Heavenly Father, would you help us um, as we take communion to um, be reminded of how amazing it is that you came to the cross and that you died for us. And although it looked like foolishness, Lord, it was true power and strength. Lord, would you help us to take that and to live it out in our lives this week? Would we be reminded of it? Lord, would you help us to be living that out each day as we look to the gospel and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.